Along the lakefront on Chicago's south side, there's a barren piece of land, more than 600 acres from 79th to 92nd streets, flat and desolate as a prairie in Kansas. Wild grasses bend in the wind. A lone train creeps slowly along and grinds to a halt. For more than a century, the Southwark steel mill filled the skyline here, sending enormous plumes of steam and smoke into the air and churning out giant slabs of steel for skyscrapers and bridges, for tanks and ships, and for railroad cars and automobiles. The plant was a sprawling mass of noise, pollution. <laughs> it was terrible. They were just huge. Never seen anything that big in my life. Tires on, on trucks that uh, seemed as big as houses to me. Everything was covered in grit and grease, and smoke could be coming out from anywhere. It, you know, it, it, it was like going in hell. I mean, your lungs and things, was, you know, was burning. I mean, them guys was killing themselves. It was demanding, dirty, and dangerous work, but it paid well. And to many workers, it made a real difference. It was so dramatic, you felt like you were really a part of a big thing going on. Like when I worked in the rod mill, I could look out the shipping door in the middle of the night and see the Sears Tower and think, well, steel from our steel mill, you know, built the Sears Tower. You could say that Southworks helped build South Chicago. Hundreds of stores, shops, taverns, and restaurants sprang up all around the mill, creating tens of thousands of jobs. On Commercial Avenue, shoppers crowded the sidewalks on Saturday afternoons. Southeast Chicago was a vibrant, self-contained community with the steel mill as its nucleus. I can't help uh, remember that, that the camaraderie, the solidarity that, that existed in those days. I came out, I spent all, all my time in the machine shop, and I think over there, you knew everybody. It's a great place to work. It, it, it really was. Uh, you developed some good friendships, and uh, it was terrific. And over the years, Southworks took on mythic proportions. Ed Sedlowski grew up believing there was something almost divine about the mill. You'd stand out on your back porch in South Chicago, and you'd watch the sky at night light up like a glow. Big orange glow. I can also remember my ma, I said that before she'd hang clothes, you know, that was, there was no dryers or nothing like that. And the graphite would come in the sky, sparkle always, you'd see that always on the clothes, on the boards, on the porch, That's, when the sun would hit it, it would sparkle, you know, like little diamonds in it. I honestly, as a kid, maybe I thought like that God put that there. His house was just across the street from the Union Hall and a few blocks from the front gate. So Sedlowski grew up hearing the bullhorns of union organizers and the chants of strikers. At age 17, he dropped out of high school and went to work at Southworks over the objections of his father, who worked at nearby Inland Steel. My old man, I remember around the, around the table, though, he didn't want you to go in the mill. That was, I mean, as an early, you know, don't go in that goddamn place, you know, get an education, stay out of it, et cetera, what have you. That wasn't in the cards. Ed Sedlowski got involved with the union and, at age 24, was elected president of the local. In 1977, he ran for the International Union's top office. 
but his campaign got into trouble in part because of a statement he made during a magazine interview. It was a remark that sounded like something his father could have said. You know, I said, steel mills are dehumanizing. I said that uh, no man should uh, have to stand on the top of a, of a Coke oven to, to bring in, you know, bread to his house. And that, that uh, that's not what the good Lord put you on the earth to do. His opponent seized on the comment as evidence that Sadlowski would not protect steel workers' jobs, which were just beginning to disappear. Sadlowski says he was misunderstood, that no one should have to work in a McDonald's either. He lost by a wide margin. A few years later, no one was working at a Coke oven or anywhere else in Southworks. What I said in the 20 years ago has come to pass. It's come to pass. I didn't say nothing that the industry didn't do. The only thing I've said that the industry didn't do was when that inevitably comes about, then the individual that is displaced by that technological advancement should share the wealth in which that advancement creates. Now that's the big if, you know. Don't let the meal shut down. Just let me go and serve my time. I'm talking about the steel mill. Don't let the meal shut down. In the late 70s and early 80s, the U.S. Steel Corporation scaled back production at plants all over the country. Southworks was dismantled piece by piece. Finally, on April 10, 1992, the front gates were padlocked shut once and for all. Tonight, the end of an era on the city's south side. The U.S. Steel Southworks plant is closing its doors for good after 112 years of business. Well, it was a tough day. Uh, you, you, uh, you earn your keep on days like that. Thomas Farrell is head of public affairs for U.S. Steel. No one likes to make news like that. No one likes to say that uh, there will be no tomorrow after a date certain uh, for a place that had employed tens of thousands of people over the years. A plant that uh, played a tremendous role in, in a couple of major war efforts in this country. I went out that day and made that announcement to those people and tried to explain uh, what was uh, the economic uh, situation that had prompted this, and uh, it was just a, it was a tough day. It was a sad occasion. It was a sad occasion. Think about the young guys that were in there. What were they going to do, you know? You'll never get another job paying that kind of money, benefits. So it was hard to believe that, I mean, there had always been a Southworks that it could ever shut down. It was like the company was on strike. I was born outside of the mill in 1938. When we got hurt, we used to go to the mill hospital. They would set your arm. They would put stitches in you. They were a friend of the community. They didn't leave a friend of the community. They left really a bad taste in everybody's mouth out there. A plant that had produced steel for many of Chicago's skyscrapers was flattened. Its parts melted down and recycled. Salvaged steel from Southworks, a mill that had made the beams and girders for the old Comiskey Park built in 1910, were melted down and used to make the beams and girders for the new Comiskey Park. The only thing that's left of Southworks today is a lone power plant that stands in the middle of the deserted site and the crumbling walls of a giant ore bin that are now being torn down and hauled away. Never thought I'd see anything go down that fast. We was belching smoke and fire and brimstone there for all of those years. And to see it go down like that, I just couldn't imagine it. There's no shortage of theories why Southworks closed, 
Some blame a worldwide recession and a flood of cheaper foreign steel. Others say it was bad management, aging technology, high labor costs. Still others, the growth of non-union mini-mills and government policies that offered incentives for steel companies to invest in other industries. In the end, U.S. Steel's Thomas Farrell says closing Southworks was simply a prudent business decision. He says the product the mill was making near the end, structural steel for large buildings, was no longer in demand. It was really more than anything else the market that uh, made the move and forced this plant out of business. Uh, I don't know any other way to describe it. It was the market that, uh, that forced these decisions. Former union leader Ed Sedlowski has pretty much the same analysis. He just puts it a little differently. This is the capitalistic system of wherever they can generate more capital for the invested dollar, that's where they'll go. In fact, at the same time U.S. Steel was laying off people at Southworks and at a number of other mills, its parent company, USX, was acquiring the Marathon Oil Company at a cost of $6 billion. What's good for U.S. Steel and good for workers? I'll tell you that. Never has been, never will be. I had a good job. Working many long hours a week. They had a big layoff. And they got pulled me. After the first big round of layoffs in the early 80s, questionnaires were sent out to ex-Southworks employees. These were some of the responses. I lost my wife, my family, my car. I lost everything I ever worked for. Depression and anger, feelings of hopelessness, loss of self-respect and esteem. Anxiety, trouble sleeping. Less pride in myself, drinking, depression, sometimes suicidal tendencies. I'm just barely holding on to life. Please help me before it's too late. But that was more than a decade ago. Since then, there have been no definitive studies of what happened to the people who lost their jobs at Southworks. There is plenty of anecdotal evidence Former Southworks employees are scattered all over Chicago. At Palmer Park on the south side, Ron Greenwood picks up trash, keeps the restrooms clean, and does minor repairs. Greenwood is the park's custodian. I'm just glad to be working. <laughs> After he was laid off from Southworks in 1981, Greenwood spent four long years looking for work. I'm going crazy. You know, you used to working all your life. And all of a sudden, it stopped. It kind of, you know, uh, really just messed you around because it was hard to live. It was kind of rough. He had three strikes against him in the job market, limited education, limited work experience outside a steel mill, and a physical disability. Me, it was kind of difficult because I had an accident in 1973 where, you know, I lost my fingers. And, uh, you know, a lot of places wouldn't want to take that chance. The accident happened at Southworks when Greenwood was working on a piece of heavy equipment. All I know is that I just felt something and they were gone. You know, I didn't even know they were gone. That's how fast it, it happened. But I came through. Greenwood remained at Southworks for eight more years until the layoffs hit. Now 50 years old, he hopes to stay with the park district until he retires. When Southworks closed, a lot of workers were too young to retire, but too old for many potential employers. 
the conditions they put on you when you go look for jobs, and forget the age discrimination, believe me, you have to be, like they said, a nuclear scientist to get a job. Bobby Sermana was 45 when he was laid off after 23 years at Southworks. Since then, he's bounced around from job to job. Nothing steady, some construction work here, some iron work there. You're not, you're not even making probably not even a third of the money you were making before. Oh, yeah, there was no more going out to the bar meeting the boys and that, yeah, sure, and then no more going playing softball because I couldn't take an injury because I would have been out of work. I wouldn't be able, I had to keep myself available if this contractor called me. Sermano had one thing going for him after Southworks. He was one of a number of men, and they were mostly men, who had learned a craft at the mill. In Sermano's case, welding, a skill that helped him make ends meet after he was laid off. Because the crime came up a little bit, I would be welding burglar bars all around Michael Reese Hospital and scissor gates, and I would be doing whatever I did to make some money to support my family. But I was a fortunate one. I had those abilities, I had the determination, and the health to go out and do that. Many guys didn't have that. What many guys didn't have when they lost their job at Southworks was a skill that was in demand outside a steel mill. Where else do you test steel except in a steel mill? Uh, you can't go to IBM and say, uh, I'm a twirman, you know, hire me. They say, what the hell is a twirman, you know? Don Jordan and John Brock consider themselves fortunate. Jordan got a job as a union organizer. Brock found work with the Chicago Transit Authority. But men like John Phillips, who did a variety of laborers' jobs during his 11 years at Southworks, left with a resume that didn't interest employers. They're not hiring a Kramer, you know. They're not hiring steel pours spray operators and stuff like that. No jobs don't exist. After the mill, Phillips got some training as an auto mechanic, but couldn't find steady work. When unemployment ran out, he worked two jobs, at a 7-Eleven and washing dishes at a nursing home. When he lost those jobs, he and his wife separated. Then he hit rock bottom. You know, I became an alcoholic, you know, and I became a dope fiend, okay? But I did heroin, I did cocaine, you know, I did speed. I was a junkie. That lasted about five years until an incident in 1992 straightened him out. It really brought me out of it. I got shot. Okay, I'm up in Kankakee, and they were shooting at somebody else, but they thought I was the guy because I was in his car. And a couple of days later, I just said, hey, this ain't me. You know, I'm getting ready to get killed over somebody else's stuff. So I just stopped, went cold turkey. Phillips has since reunited with his wife and is working as a janitor at a senior citizen's home. I would say that if you're African-American and you lose a job, it is horrendous. Steve Alexander is with the Chicago Urban League. Because the trades positions at Southworks, welder, electrician, pipe fitter, were filled primarily by whites, Alexander says when the layoffs hit, whites had a less difficult time finding another job with comparable pay. When you looked at those people who were able to make adjustments, African-Americans and people of color had to um, accept lower wages than white steel workers. White steel workers were able to adjust faster and able to maintain a wage rate that was pretty close to the one that they left. Alexander, who is black, worked at Southworks for 15 years. The same week he got his layoff notice, he received his bachelor's degree. He's now finishing his Ph.D. in economics, something he says he'd planned to do anyway had the mill stayed open. Economically, it's been a disaster. 
had I been able to stay in the mail, I probably would have had a home now. I had to use all my savings up when I left the mail. I had to make another adjustment, and that adjustment required me to use money I would not have used to finish a Ph.D. program, which is very expensive. Many others went back to school after Southworks. One 10-year veteran of the mill went to med school and is now a resident neurologist at a Chicago hospital. And unlike most older workers who took their pension and retired, at age 63, Wardell Sutton got his teaching credentials and taught seven years in the Chicago Public School District. You didn't need an education to work in a steel mill, not when I was there. We had some foremen couldn't hardly write, read and write their names, but they knew the job. When the jobs began disappearing at Southworks, retraining programs were set up, funded in part by U.S. Steel and the International Steelworkers Union. But Ed Sedlowski, who by that time was working for the International, says the programs didn't amount to much. The solicitors had come around from McDonald hamburger, shit like that, you know, at, at, at paying at $3.60 or $0.70 an hour. I mean, uh, you can't live on something like that. And so, for some who lost their job at Southworks, those who had just managed to climb into the middle class and who had expected the good union wages to last forever, it was simply too much to endure. Some of those guys didn't know how to face it. They had family and kids. And uh, there are stories of a couple of guys that I knew ended up in a sanitarium. Couldn't face it. Well, you know, a lot of guys I know had bought houses, boats, brand new cars. As they get all these things on their belt, boom, it was snatched from them. You know, I know a couple of dudes that commit suicide, you know, because they had lost so much they had had, you know. That's for real. For Fred Tchaikovsky, a little faith and some good timing helped out in his time of need. St. Michael's is a Gothic-style, turn-of-the-century Catholic church whose steeple rises almost 300 feet into the air, higher than the blast furnaces that used to operate just down the street from here at Southworks. Fred Tchaikovsky has been coming to St. Michael's since 1955, the year he and his wife were married here. Yes, I remember the wedding on the Saturday. It was a beautiful day in June. At the time, he was working as an electrician at Southworks. Well, I worked at U.S. Steel for many years, let's say about 32 years, and they folded up. Came here one day to get some keys to get into the um, hall, and the priest there asked me if I was looking for a job, and at that time I said, yes, I am. I'm laid off, kicked out of the mill, and he said, oh, you can start here if you care to, and here I am, 11 years later, still working here. Tchaikovsky started as assistant custodian at the church for $50 a week, considerably less than he was making at the mill. He's since been promoted to head custodian, and on special occasions, like Easter Mass, he plays in the bell choir. Working here, collecting my pension, and then my wife did go back to work for a while. We made it, we made it all right. It was kind of tough for a while, but we made it. But St. Michael's is just barely making it. 
At one time, when Southworks was in full swing, the church had more than 5,000 parishioners, many of whom worked in the mill. Now, the number has dwindled to less than 2,000. Just down the street from St. Michael's and directly across from where the Southworks 81st Street gate used to be is Marty and Joe's Bar. When Southworks was going strong, taverns like this dotted the circumference of the mill. Today, Marty and Joe's is one of only a handful of bars that's still open. And from the outside, it's hard to tell. Just a lone old-style beer sign dangles from its hinges. Inside, there's not much life either. It's dark, dingy, and in need of repair. I have to clean it up and stuff like that, and then I'll put it up for sale. Richie Smeagol has owned Marty and Joe's for almost 50 years. It's been in the family since the end of Prohibition, 1933, and as long as Southworks was across the street, it was a popular neighborhood hangout. God, we used to sponsor baseball, softball, basketball, football, and everything, and the way the neighborhood is today, you couldn't get a, a marble team together. I mean, everything changed, and with the mill being down, why uh, the business is about uh, one-fourth of what it used to do. Video poker machines almost outnumber customers. The pool table in the back is empty. We're just hanging in and existing, going along, that's about it. Hoping for something to develop. Something to develop on the vast piece of lakefront property that now sits idle much of the soil saturated with more than 100 years of toxic chemicals from the mill. I'm sure Rich would like to see him put the Bear Stadium right there. There's talk of everything from a football stadium to an industrial park to a casino to a shopping mall. Yeah, that was the latest rumor, that mini, mini that mall. With the exception of a brief period during World War II, the workforce at Southworks was almost exclusively male. But in the mid-70s, the mill began to open up to women. It seemed like perfect timing for Roberta Wood. I was ready to kind of settle down in life, and I wanted, you know, a real job where you got a good wage, where you could establish a home and maybe a pension and health benefits. And also, I really wanted to learn a skill. And it seemed like the steel mill was that kind of place where you could get into an apprenticeship program. In 1974, she got her chance at Southworks. But for Wood and other women, the door was slammed shut just as it was opening. Wood was halfway through an apprenticeship program when she got her final layoff notice. After I got laid off, I mean, we went through really hard times. We had two little kids, one infant and a one-year-old. And um, my husband was laid off from Pullman at the same time. So we had a, just bought a house. I think for a while we were just got food stamps. We were, we were on unemployment, and I was working as a waitress, and we didn't know what was going to be in store for us. Well, that certainly takes away from the quality of your life. Instead of working at a steel mill until retirement, as her father had done, Wood was starting all over again. After several tries, she got a job with the sanitary district. We maintain the instrumentation that measures the uh, water level and uh, flow, similar to um, the steel mill, except we work with sewage instead of steel. I guess what I miss is the same 
feeling of grandeur of, of a huge industrial operation. I think that was one of the best times of my life. I, I loved working in the steel mill. Roberta Wood also misses the community that grew up around the mill. When the steel jobs left, so did many of the businesses that supported the mill. People moved away, leaving dilapidated houses and a depressed economy. Commercial Avenue, once a bustling corridor of commerce, is now struggling to get back on its feet. I look at South Chicago. It was a beautiful community. I mean, not that it was pretty physically, but it was so vibrant and there were so many people and things. And uh, I mean, it had its problems, but it had life in it. And now it's, if we were at war with somebody, I mean, they couldn't destroy a place to the extent that it's, that's been done to. And the loss of Southwark, she says, has left a huge void, not just in the lives of the people who used to work there, but in the lives of those who would have. I mean, maybe the old people or the middle-aged people like me, you know, some made it and some didn't, but none of the young people have a chance. There's no job for them that can pay them enough money to start a family and get a home of their own. They don't have a chance to grow up. They're sort of sentenced to uh, perpetual poverty and immaturity. At James H. Bowen High School, just a few blocks from where Southworks once stood, Students in this work studies class tap away at computers. Today's lesson is from a textbook called How to Succeed in the World of Work. When Ed Sidlowski went to school here some 40 years ago, his career was pretty much predestined. You go in there and they'd have the counselors, you know, to put you like in a program. You'd say your name was uh, Sidlowski, they'd say industrial arts. You'd spend uh, the next three, four years in the shops there grinding a piece of glass, uh, making keychains, napkin holders, crap like that. And from there, says Bobby Sermano, you'd go to work at the steel mill. The blacks, the blast furnace, the Latins, the blast furnace, the Polish in the machine shop. But it was a job, we needed a job, and we accepted it, that's it. Today, the names are Alvarez and Rodriguez. Industrial arts has been replaced by drafting. And enrollment at Bowen High is way down since Southworks was in full swing. But the big difference, says teacher William Affridge, is after high school. Uh, this area, as far as employment is concerned, is, is, is almost desolate. Uh, you've got to leave the area if you want a, a real good full-time job uh, with uh, some security. Uh, around here, it mostly it seems to me there's just part-time jobs, working at McDonald's or working in the... At Goldblatt's has even left. You know, so uh, there's nothing around here as far as uh, full-time employment on, on a continuing basis. Loss of home, loss of wife and family, loss of friends. The bill collectors are running me crazy. There's never enough money. I stay very sad because I can't find a job. No one will hire me because I'm a steel worker. You can look at a guy sometimes and tell he's not doing so well. And like I say, you know, you don't want to ask him anything. I don't think you want to know, really. There's not a lot you could do for him. You want to, but what the hell could you do? John Brock is almost 60 years old. At 62, he plans to retire from the Chicago Transit Authority, the CTA. 
Brock repairs L trains when they break down, and he makes a decent living, about the same kind of money he was earning at Southworks. But he says his CTA job is just that. CTA uh, is just, uh, you get your check and get the hell out of there. Uh, there's no loyalty, very little camaraderie. Uh, it's go, don't get fired, go home. You know, get your check, go home. Southworks, he says, was different. People cared about their work and their fellow worker. It was a hell of a place. I miss it, yeah. Brock put in 20 years at the mill. He hadn't been back since he walked out the front gates for the last time in 1984. Now he sits in his van just outside those same gates, their padlock shut with a rusted chain that looks like it's been here since the mill's last day. There was Southworks. There'll never be another, I don't think. Not like this. He knows better, but there's a part of him that likes to dream. It's the part that says maybe when he walked out those gates that day in 1984, it wasn't really for the last time. I have envisioned uh, once or twice, you know, like the phone ringing. You know, hey, we're going to start it up again. And we all come back, start it up. Same guys, you know. It can't happen, I know that, but I think I would come back. Oh, yes, I would love to come back in a minute, in a heartbeat. 